Good to see all your smiling faces. Turn to the person next to you, and if they're not smiling, well, first, put your best smile on your face. Turn to the person next to you, look at them, and say, that, that's great, or that's horrible. You're well work on that. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Um, there's something I wanted to start with. About, about a couple of years ago, uh, I was out uh, on a run, if you could call on a run when you're running on a treadmill. But it, it was on, I was on a treadmill, and I was listening to something that T.D. Jakes was saying, and, and um, he said he had talked about how God did a miracle and provided they, they were able to pay the $35 million they owed off in five years. And I heard the Lord speak to me and say, you've never asked me to do that. And I'm like, well, I didn't think about it. How, how many have ever had something like God wants to do a miracle in your life, but you just have never asked, right? You just, you just kind of adapted to it, so you've just stopped asking, encourage you to ask. And I said, well, Lord, I'm asking right now. And he says, get to work. And so I, I think I came to you, and I had shared what the Lord had spoken to me, and I did get to work. We put, went to the board. The board put together a group of people, and, and we came to the determination that bake sales were probably not going to pay for $3.4 million. <laughs> Unless you got a pie that really can do that, right? I don't know. There may be somebody in here that would pay a million for a pie. And, uh, and so we, we looked at a number of different things, and we came to a, the, they came to the, the realization we needed to do a capital campaign. And, and so I shared that when we were doing the Devoted Finance series. And I just, we went and we talked, and we we're like, when, you're t when you talk about a capital campaign for debt, boy, that's a hard one because a lot of people are looking, well, I like to, if I'm going to give, I want to give to something I'm getting. Now, how many know it's harder, it's a lot easier to save money for something that you got to have cash to buy when you get there than to buy it and then have to pay it off later. No, nobody likes paying their credit card bill, right? Nobody says, yay, the visa bill's in, you know? And, and so, you know, the reality is that we've been blessed, that God's blessed us and, and all of the facilities we have at each of the three campuses. And um, we, we actually started paying more on the mortgage, and it's not like we're in the red, we're still in the black. We just want to get rid of the debt because of the amount of money and interest that we're paying to a bank that could be used for, for things that are much more fruitful. And, um, and as I was praying about it during the Devoted Finance series, I was talking about, Lord, you know how hard it is because it, it's going to require some sacrifice because we don't want you to, de to, to decrease your missions giving just because I don't want you to think that way. I want you to really ask the Lord of what you should give. He'll, he'll provide it. I know he will. And then he'll abundantly go overboard with you in it. And um, so I was... I was thinking, Lord, why, you know, why, how do we go about it? And he just put faith in me that this really is all about him. Like these buildings do not belong to me. Some of you may not realize pastors do not own their buildings. Um, just so, you know, you know, like this, these aren't mine. When I'm gone, they, they're God's, they're, they, I'm just uh, the pastor here. I don't own these buildings, nor do I want to. 
Uh, you can imagine what that would be like, right? And the, the reality is, is there's a couple of things that will happen during the capital campaign. One, it brings us together. There's nothing like a project that we work together on that really kind of instills connection. You know, coming together and saying, we did this together. We were able to take care of this together. We were able to see God do a miracle together. We were a part of that. Secondly, it avails the money that is available because most of the renovations we're doing are being done out of our operating budget tithes. When you tithe, uh, you pay the, all, of the, all of the bills that we have and in the facilities, and then we're, we're kind of saving and budgeting to be able to do all of the things that we're doing in addition to that, along with people uh, that have been a part of really stepping up. And, and one of the couples is sitting right down here in the front second row, uh, and I'm not staring right at them. But they were generous in providing even the, the screen and just just a, just a way more than you can imagine. They've gone way out of their way to, to financially support that, and we're very grateful to the Vesters for that. Um, but that's how things get done. And then third, there's vision we want to do. There's things we need to do that if we weren't paying 20000 a month, that we'd be able to do also in Richfield. I mean, how many have been in the Richfield building? Raise your hand. Okay, that's like a Holy Ghost hallway. We've really, we, it's really a hallway. And we've, we've outgrown that building when we bought it. We thought we were going to be able to build there. They changed their mind after we had bought it. We really need another facility. And we need to get rid of the debt that we have for this facility from, from Farmington's and Apple Valley in order to be prepared to do that. The goal would never to, you know, I never want to go into debt. We've always had the, let's just figure out a way to pay cash for it. If we've got to do debt, figure a way to get out of debt as quickly as possible and to be able to do that. And uh, to kind of live that way as a church and so that we can really focus a lot of our attention on taking the gospel to the world. How many, how many would say that's probably a good plan, right? So we're doing that. And, and, and really, the other thing is where you put your treasure, your heart is. You really, your heart really isn't at Bethel's Rock. You can say, well, I attend Bethel's Rock, but your heart really isn't here until your treasure is here. It's a biblical concept. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so it's more than just serving, which is very important. It's, it's more than being a freeloader loader where you come in and somebody else serves you and someone else pays for everything. And someone, no, one, no one wants to be a freeloader. Or are we raising a generation of freeloaders? That's a different sermon. That's a different message, especially for Farmington. I'm sure there's a lot of people in here that would say, okay, that's a different one. But, but when, when, when you put your heart somewhere, it brings us in to relationship with others because our heart's now here. We want to be in relationship with each other because it's our family. I put treasure there, and, and that's an important thing. One of the things the Lord told me is, and, and I really felt like the Lord said, this is for me, James, just just follow, follow what I'm telling you to do. And so that's what we've been doing. And you ask, well, where are we at? Well, we, we have started the capital campaign. We've already been talking with people. On June 5th in the evening at 6 o'clock at Apple Valley, 
We're going to do a one-hour meeting. Say this with me, a one-hour meeting. So when it's 80, because I already looked at the weather report, it looks like 80 and beautiful. It's only one hour, okay? One hour in Minnesota, that's like God or gold, you know, but one hour at Apple Valley, we're going to just communicate all about Devoted Being Debt-Free, the campaign Devoted to Being Debt-Free. And, uh, and then we'll answer questions. We'll do all of that in that time period. There will be snacks, hors d'oeuvres, things like that, that you can come and eat. And then you can go out with those that are there. So you can plan a night with people, say, hey, let's meet there at 6. Afterwards, we'll go do something. But it's on June 6. You'll be getting a letter in the mail explaining that. Um, and you may, you may be getting a call. Is it 5? Huh? June 5th. What did I say? 6. It's June 5th. Thank you. That's right. Thank you. Uh, June 5th at the, in the gym at Apple Valley, which is now the sanctuary there. Okay? So say this with me. I will be there, Pastor. You can count on me. <laughs> right? Okay. Now, I want to give you a few other quick things, and then we're going to get into the message too. On June 12th, the very next Sunday, we're going to have our youth and children's pastors join me in the message. You don't want to miss it. They're going to talk about some of the things our kids are dealing with in school and some of the topics they're talking about, things that they don't maybe tell you about as a parent. And uh, how many parents in here, you'd sit there and think, I know they're talking about something. It's just I don't know what they're talking about because they're not telling you. Well, the youth pastors, kids pastors, they know a lot about what's going on. And, uh, and they're gonna, we're going to have a conversation about that. Um, and then in August, the last week in July, the month of August, we're going to do a five-week creation series, beginning of Genesis series. How many are, are, are like looking forward to that? Now, on August 14th, which happens to be the day my daughter's getting married, yeah. August 14th, so I won't be here, but I got a speaker from the Creation Museum who's responsible for writing all of the content at the Creation Museum, and he's going to be here speaking at all four campuses, three campuses, um, on that morning, and then he's doing a Q&A, so that night is the wedding, uh, but we can only get 250 people in this thing. Okay, so as a, like something that, here's a gift to you to do that, he's going to do a Q&A, and you can come and ask questions about anything, and he'll talk about that. You don't want to miss that. That will be at Apple Valley only, though, because of doing it at the same time. Okay, now, if you're wondering, if you're new here, we have three campuses in Richfield, Apple Valley, to here, and we do a lot of things in Apple Valley because it's exactly halfway in between Richfield and here, and so it's kind of a... A, a meeting point. That's why we do so much there. Okay, you ready to go? Yeah. Are you ready to go? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, one more thing. On the campaign, the Lord really spoke to me. He said, because the, there's some people saying, I am not doing it. I'm not going to be a part of it. You can't talk me into it. Well, I'm not really trying to. I'm just really asking you to be open to the Lord. But the Lord did tell me this word, watch and see. Watch how God does it and see how he blesses those who participate so that the next time this happens, you're part of it. 
because you're going to want to see how God does what he does in the lives of people and say, I'm all in. I'm in this thing. I'm going to be a part of it, okay? So devoted to families, if you have your Bibles, you want to take your Bible. Uh, you know, we all know that the truth will set you free, right? And, but there's a lot of people that say, well, pastor, it's more, it's more complicated than that. It's far more, having a healthy family is way more complicated than that. And maybe you'd say something like, um, my situation is way more complicated than, than what you, when you preach, it just sounds so easy and it makes so much sense. But my life is like, I'm an exception to the rule. Like what happened in my life is it's not easy. It just isn't that easy. If you knew my situation, what you're saying is just not that easy. And, and the reason a lot of times it's not that easy is because we have made decisions to make it complicated. But the reality is it really is not that complicated. It is not complicated to have a healthy home. It's not. Though, you know why it isn't? Because the Lord wouldn't have made it difficult because he created me, right? And I can't do complicated things. I need it simple. Anyone else in here need it simple? And we make it too complicated. Then if it was too complicated to have a healthy home, there would be people who wouldn't be able to have a healthy home. God had to make it simple so that the lowest common denominator was able to do it. Look at what C.S. Lewis says. He says, human history is the long, terrible story of a man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Isn't that true? It's, it's absolutely, incredibly insane. And we're living in a culture right now in the family. There's never been a time where we need more of a healthy family where the father instills identity and the mother instills intimacy. It, it, that, that is the role of, of both members of that family is to instill that in children. And no greater time than we need to be vocal about some of the things that are going on in the world around our kids. And we need to understand them and we need to have a logical, scientific response so that they don't think you're an idiot. Right? Because a lot of times parents says, they say, because I told you so, or because that's what the Bible says. They don't know where it says that in the Bible, but that is what the Bible says. It's just because that's not what we believe. Your kid needs more than that's just not what we believe. They need an understanding of why we believe what we believe. And we're living in a culture of sexuality and gender confusion right now. And, and I told you in this series, I'm going to address some of this. It is an attack. This is an attack, not just on a person, but on the, on the family as a whole. It's an attack on that family. And, and really what the world is doing, if we address it, they're trying to say, you're not a loving person. You don't love people if you don't accept whatever they think they are or want to do. You're not very loving. The problem with that is it doesn't square up with most of the decisions we make as parents, I hope, in the home. If your two-year-old says, I don't want broccoli or I don't want to eat vegetables, I just want ice cream. So all I want to eat is ice cream, right? How many two-year-olds would love that? They'd just say, Mom, I'm just an ice cream-eating kid. I just eat ice cream. I don't eat vegetables. How many parents would say, Oh, I'm just, I love you, so because I love you, I'm going to let you eat ice cream the rest of your life every single day? How many parents would say, That's absurd. That doesn't make sense because I know that it wouldn't be healthy for them 
later on. We don't accept what a two-year-old wants to do because we understand they're two. Right? And later on, those decisions will have an impact in your life. So because we love them, we lead them. Right? Now, before I get into this, I want you to understand, uh, many Christians are often just wanting a Christian utopia. All we, we don't care about the people. We get upset with people who don't agree with us because they're messing up the Christian utopia that we want. We want our Christian nation. We don't much care for the people. If we did, we'd try to lead them to Jesus long ago. But now that those people we didn't share the gospel with are trying to impact our utopia, we're a little upset with them. And our response with people who don't agree with us is to get angry at them and tell them they're all going to hell. Turn or burn, baby, turn or burn, right? And we, we get upset, but we don't have any love for them, but we're, I'm preaching the truth. Friend, that is not the truth. The truth is always preceded with a care and a love for that individual so that when I see them, my heart loves them first and foremost so that when I go and talk to them, the tone of my voice and the information I give them has been thought out. It's not a response out of emotion and anger because I don't like the way they're living or acting. Does that make sense? So, what I'm about to say is we have to have, because science is on your side, right? Your sexuality is not your identity. It's not. It's an activity. It happened to be an activity that God intended to be within the confinement of marriage, right? Now, I'm going to get on some toes because there's probably somebody in here who had sex before marriage. Be very careful how you attack those who are now using sex outside of the parameters in which God designed it, right? There's a lot of self-righteousness that goes on when we break the rules and we look at everything. Well, theirs is worse. How they're breaking the rules is worse, right? As if this was all about the rules. Did it just get quieter in here? <laughs> That's what God intended, that sex was meant after. There's a, I think I've told you this, a black pastor that said, uh, before you let them up your halter, you better have them take, them take you to the altar. Many of you don't know what a halter is. It's a dress. <laughs> He's telling his ladies, I always tell my ladies, don't let them up your dress, basically, until you go to the altar and there's an idea. Do that's what it's meant for. But sexuality is not your identity. It's not who you are. It's an activity you participate within the parameters in which God has set. Then the, the whole thing with gender conforming and all the stuff that goes on is um, God made you perfect. Right? God made you perfect just the way you are. He created man and woman. Here's what happens when we start to open the door. Uh, th someone just shared this with me, part of the uh, school atmosphere in Cold Spring, Minnesota. How many know where the Cold Spring is? Um, middle school there, they are going to put litter boxes 
in the middle school now because they have a group of students called furries. Not furbies, furries. They'll come to school wearing masks like animals. They believe they're animals. And they said they, will be, they should be identified as being animals. So they have litter boxes for them to use for the restroom areas. Now, you're sitting there going, how absurd is this? L listen, can I just be, before you get too condemning and out of control and frustrated and angry like I've already had to go through in the last three days when I heard this. <laughs> it's what happens when we're not preaching the gospel of good news. It's just going to continue to get more absurd and worse. I mean, the Bible promises that. It's a force. We're in a battle, spiritual battle against spiritual forces of darkness and the kingdom of light. And who are the people who are the preachers of light? We are. We have to win the hearts of men to a God that loves them so that they know who they are. And, and when we get condemning and attack, we're, we, 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 there's still, if you're calm and you address it in a logical, very scientific, and this is just what, it's incredible that they'll still be angry with you. But everybody watching will see. It's not just that person you're having the conversation, it's people who are watching it that will see the spirit of it, right? You say, well, why would I, I they'll think I'm unloving, so I don't want to ever say anything. Well, they already think you're unloving because you're a Christian, and that's how they view all of them. But they won't hear any truth that will be the thing that redeems them later on after they go down their own road that brings them back. Does that, does that make sense? They need to know where they can come. That's where your influence will be. Here's the, the last thing that I'm going to give you where we're going as a culture. In rural Minnesota, and, I've, and, and this is coming from not the Internet. I didn't get this from the internet. Did you hear that? I got it from people on the ground in those places, in youth groups, youth pastors dealing with it. One of those great struggles in the rural communities of Minnesota is bestiality. By the way, this is kind of a PG-13 message. I should have probably told you that by now, but it's sex with animals, dogs and cats, horses, literally that is taking place. That's how messed up the world is having. And you're sitting there going, Pastor, well, why are you telling me? They're talking about it out there. And I understand in here, you think, well, you know, when I grew up in a church, they never talked about sex. Sex was dirty, sick, gross, and you're supposed to save it for the person you love. <laughs> that's funny. You, you, that's funny. <laughs> right? Anyway, that, like you just never talked about it. You weren't supposed to talk about it. And, and the reality is the world has, is supposed to talk about it. You can't be up here already. <laughs> Look at this, Romans. Look at Romans. They knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks to him. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like as a result of their minds because they became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. How many say that what you just said was foolish? Well, that's what they become because they've literally eliminated God. When you eliminate God, whatever you think is right is right. 
That's why in the home, we have to be having conversations with our children. Your kids are not going to just turn out if you're not having, but that pastor, that's so much work, and I got to clean the house, and I got to, I got to, well, that's great, but can I ask you, is, is having a clean house worth giving up your kids? It, there are parents that ground their kids from youth group when they misbehave. Are you kidding me? The very thing that is meant to instill, like we'll spend, like we'll spend hundreds of dollars to put our kids in sporting things and we'll ask for scholarships to send them to youth camp. Like we teach our children that God things are really not as important as other things. Like we would never skip school or want our kids to skip school, but we don't have any problem with them skipping youth group. There are subtle things that we infer to our children, like, like just showing them this, that studying the Bible is important. Why? Because I'm studying the Bible. That they see me doing that, and I teach them how to do that. Do you know you can't even be a Christian if you don't hear from God? You say, well, pastor, how, how's that? I, I don't hear from God. The Bible's clear. Jesus says, those who know my voice follow me. You can't follow him, which is what Christian means. Christian is follower of Christ. You really can't follow Christ if you don't know his voice. You say, well, I follow all the teachings. That, but that's religion. It's not sending you to heaven because you follow the teachings. It's because you follow the voice of God. And, and if, if I want my children to be Christians, followers of Jesus, followers of a voice and not of rules... If I want them to be followers of Jesus, isn't the most important thing I should teach my children is how to know and discern the voice of God in their life? Isn't that the most important thing more than anything else? See, why, why it's so important is because you are the one who decides what you will believe and do. You are. Satan can't make you do it. You make the decision. And there are lies and there is truth. And the truth is what sets you on a path to write that literally walk a life that's going to bring joy and peace and happiness. And the lies are what bring destruction. And every one of us in this room, whether you like it or not, believe some kind of lies the enemy has convinced us is the truth. In fact, we may even go to people and say, this is the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. And you're actually just telling them a lie. Because you're so convinced that lie is true. In fact, if I were to say, write the lies you believe down in a piece of paper, you shouldn't be able to do it. Because if you knew it was a lie and you believed it was a lie, you would have changed, <laughs> you would have changed your thinking already. You would have repented. Does that make sense? So in order for a relationship to work, we have to let the one who designed them define them. In Genesis, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Satan says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. They already were like God. They were created in his image. 
knowing good and evil. And when the women saw the fruit on the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. Whenever you fall into something where shame comes, you want to cover it up. Whenever you have shame, you want to cover it up. That's what the world does. They cover up their shame. But in the church, we should be a place where we get rid of the, the fig leaves. Where you can come and you say, hey, I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. This is something I'm struggling with. I, I'm open. Will you guys pray with me that I'd be free? It needs to be a place where you can be open honest. There's five lies that are in Genesis. Here's the first one. And I'm going to go through them quickly. You ready for this? Okay. Step one, the devil gets us to question God's word. The devil gets us to question, that's of the past. That God's word isn't for today. It's, and, and we start to, we start to literally, like literally people will say, the Bible was written by men. How should we trust it? Well, of course, if you don't believe in God, why are you even saying about the Bible being written by? We believe that the Bible was written by men under the unction the anointing under the wisdom of God, that God gave them words and they put them on pages, that they were merely a hand writing on pages what God was telling them. And yet, let's be scientific. Well, I don't believe the Bible. Why not? Because it was written by men. Well, there's a lot of books you believe that were written by men. Are we going to throw out our spelling books because that's the way they think it should be spelled? Who, who said that word should be spelled that way? I think it should be spelled differently. And because I, I'm, I'm my own God, I'm going to determine the word should be. I think the English language is stupid. It should be modeled after the way I speak it. How many would say amen? I like that thinking, right? Like, like there are rules that keep order. The moment you move that, and, and God, God we, we trust people we never met who wrote those books. Have you ever considered where or who shaped the thoughts you currently hold that oppose God's word? You come in and say, well, I really like that church. Well, why do you like? Because they, they agree with everything I say and think. Then you might be in the wrong church. You might be in the wrong church. When we don't buy into the lie that we will make our life worse, not better, we will see things change in our life. Like, you need to be in a place where you're being challenged to think differently. I, I told the ritual, I said, you know, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't like and I don't want to agree with. I mean, there's things, if you think that I love everybody, when I preached last week on loving everybody, if you think I love everybody, man, that's what the Bible does. It causes us to aspire to be more like God. So there are times where I don't agree with things in the Bible and there are things I would bring up in the Bible today that every single person in this room would struggle with. Pastors know which ones not to talk about because our culture has us so steeply, uh, so deeply steeped in lies that if I brought it up, you guys would struggle with it and would cause people to leap, run out the doors and say, I'm not going there. It's true. And you're saying, well, what is it, Pastor? Read your Bible. When you got to make your word do gymnastics to meet your belief, there's a problem. 
1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but actually as it is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Believe. Uh, Tim, Timothy Keller has a great statement. Look at, it's on the screen behind me. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Step two, the devil scoffs, scoffs at the negative consequences of sin. See, here, here's the thing. How many are glad we, we have grace? Thank God for grace, right? But grace, it's not like when God gave his commands in the Bible, God said, I'm trying to keep you out of heaven. When God gave his commands, he said, I created you. If you want to experience, how many want to experience happiness in life? And joy. You want joy? You want some peace? His commands that grace gives us the ability to obey and follow is what provides that. What we've done is say, now that I have grace, I don't need to even respect the commands of God. He will just give me everything. Mackenzie was telling me that even in kids' movies today, even in the kids' movies today, the theme, there's themes in those movies, and one of those themes is you, a kid hits a child, then comes back and says, I'm sorry, and they say, okay, now you can get what you would, not, now the kid wants what he lost by hitting the kid. Just because you said you're sorry doesn't mean there isn't consequences. But we're teaching our children that you shouldn't expect, so I can, I can do something, then say I'm sorry and it, it's all okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a mess. So we think, okay, I said I'm sorry, God, but there's still that wheel of consequence that's still turning. It's still, still turning. It's still there. And the devil scoffs at the negative consequences of sin. He says the choices won't hurt anything. It's not going to hurt you. And there's professors all the time, but years in college universities, teaching our, the students, listen, whatever you want to do is okay if it doesn't hurt anyone else. It hurts you. It hurts you. Passion needs parameters. Here's step three. The devil accuses God of evil intent. Righteousness is boring, but sin is fun. Sin is fun. Isn't it amazing? If you ate McDonald's, first of all, does anyone own a McDonald's in here? Because I hammer on them all the time. They would not put me as their poster child. Uh, McDonald's would not put me as their poster child at all. But like, have you ever been like, if you ate McDonald's every single day, how many know that wouldn't be good for you? But you really like Big Macs, so man, you, you would become a Big Mac. You'd start to look like a Big Mac. You ate a Big Mac every single day. How many know that's true, right? How many, well, you can do whatever you want. Well, you know, a loving person's going to tell you, you probably shouldn't do that because I'm going to see in the end, 20 years from now, how that's going to impact your life 20 years from now. Someone who doesn't love you is going to tell you, yeah, go ahead, you should do it. Absolutely. Every day, you should do it. They even buy you big mats. They contribute to the problem to the point, at some point, you're going to realize those people weren't your friends. 
Those people didn't care about you. Psalm 1611 says, you show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hands are the pleasures evermore. Where are the pleasures? At the right hand of God. Where is joy? In the presence of God. It may be fun in the moment, but there will be lasting consequences that will not be fun later on in life. The most loving thing God does is call us out of our sin. There are people that think God is mean. God is love. He's defined as love. There's some people, I just, I think God needs to be a little nicer. Really? Hmm. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. Do you know, I, I preached a message on, um, on the effects of alcohol because I got so tired of the counseling I was doing with people. I have never had anyone come to me and say, I wish I drank. But I've had hundreds of people come to me. I mean, hundreds say, I wish I didn't ever do a drink alcohol of any kind. And it's not because you're going to hell if you drink. I'm not suggesting that you're going to hell if you drink. In fact, there's nowhere in the Bible that says do not drink. It says don't be intoxicated. But it is such a door where people cross over and they get intoxicated and, and it affects their decisions. And, and I talked about, it was a series I talked about taking, uh, it was right turn, wrong way. And, and it, the decision may not be wrong, but, but the effects of it are. And one guy came in and he blasted me one week. He came and met with me, set up an appointment, everything. And he just wanted to tell me how absolutely off base I was, how alcohol wasn't a problem. Three weeks later, that same man was in my office bawling because he and his wife and her best friend got drunk and he raped his, her best friend because he was intoxicated. Four weeks earlier, God gave him an out. And he was, I was, who are you to tell me what to do? That spirit, whether he's right or wrong, is the very spirit that set him up for danger down the road. Step four, the devil advertises sin as beneficial. Your life will be better with you leading it. The God doesn't know what's best in your life. You know what's best. There's a statement that, that people have said, because choices lead and the feelings will follow. You make the choice, the right choice, your feelings will follow. Do what's right, your feelings will change and will follow that. There's this common line, my body, my choice. Nope, not really. 1 Corinthians 6 says, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's not your body. It's his body. He gave it to you. He put it together. Some of you are thinking, God, you could have made some changes. There's some modifications I would have liked in this body, but it was his. He gave it to you. It's not your choice. To be a Christian must be You'll hear this, to be a Christian must be a sacrifice. No, it's an investment. Giving up something now for something better later isn't a sacrifice, it's an investment. This is an amazing thing. We think that if I serve the Lord, that means i got to stop doing all these things. I don't know who told you that, but when you come to Christ, you come to Christ, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and the Holy Spirit works in you to bring life out of you. Right? But it's the thinking that's the trap. You think if I come to God, I gotta stop doing the things I really like. It's because you think those are great for you and they're horrible. 
it's destroying you. Here's the last lie, the step five. The devil uses sin to create shame that destroys our future relationships. It's too late. Run and hide. You need to run and hide. You're, you'll, it's too late. You've already messed up. It's no good. Will you stand? There are those five lies that he told Adam and Eve are the five lies he's still telling us today. And we're living in a culture that promotes it and says that you can coexist with that kind of thinking and still say that God is walking with you. Friend, that's not true. Because God would never put a stamp of approval. He'll never put his stamp of approval on things that are destroying the object of his love. And there are things that maybe you're like, I know, I know. I don't know why I'm doing. Here's, here's the reality is, how do I change? Well, it's a revelation of truth. See, you don't keep being, believing a lie when you get a revelation of the truth. When the Lord gives you truth, the truth causes you to change. Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. Although I'm not sure God hates it, I don't, saying you're sorry means nothing to God. Did you hear that? Saying, I'm sorry, God. That, that's not repentance. What God's wanting to do is for you to open your ears and open your eyes so that you hear, and the truth sets you free. Because you heard the truth, it replaces the lie, and you do what you believe, not what you know. I now believe this to be true. It's best for me. So I now make decisions based on what I know is true. That is a divine process that takes place in your heart. It's not willpower. It is a divine process. That's why we say the Lord is the source to life. Jesus is the source. The tree of life is the source of life. So if you do this, close your eyes. And, and, and if, you, if, you're, if, you, if you can, put your hands up. Just say, I want to receive. I just want to receive. It's like a physical way of saying, I want to receive. Just put your hands out there. Father, right now, I pray for every person in this room. Say this with me. Father, speak to my ears so that my heart can be healed. And I can, my heart can perceive and I can be healed. In Jesus' name.